From Parkway Church in Kurana, this is the Parkway Podcast. Our prayer is that this message blesses and encourages you today as you listen. If you would like to know more information on who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. Romans chapter 5, uh, verses 2 and 4 says this, And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Repeat that. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. Over the next four weeks, we're going to look at and journey through the story of Ruth, the book of Ruth. The story of Ruth is... Um, a story in the Old Testament about a small family who find themselves in a hopeless situation. Has anybody ever found themselves in a hopeless situation before? Right? Situation where you see no good in the outcome. Right? You see, you see no possibility of, of this situation to improve. Right? You've lost any expectation of success. This is a story of God when, when God provides hope in a hopeless situation. Paul, the apostle, the great missionary church planner, felt something like this. At one point... Him and his companions were under such great pressure in their journey that he described it as far beyond our ability to bear to the point where we despised of life itself. Paul, the great apostle, was so hopeless that he despaired life. And when we talk about hope, we usually th- we think of the optimistic state of mind based on the expectation of something positive. But what happens when you don't have that? What do you do when you don't have hope? What do you do when you've lost that state of mind, that sense of, of good? That's when hope no longer becomes a virtue that you possess or a frame of mind that you enter into, but a person that you look to in his name is Jesus. It's not a frame of mind. It's not a feeling. I just feel hopeful. But when you got nothing left, you look to a person. I got nothing left, but I look to a person. In Jesus, we hope. Hope is here. So we're going to journey through the book of Ruth, see what the story has for us. And just so you know, we have not forgot about the offering. We're going to do that at the end of the service today, for those of you who are wondering. So Ruth chapter 1, if you have your Bibles, turn to Ruth chapter 1. We'll have some scriptures on the screen there for you. Hopefully some of you um, took my homework away with you last week and you read the book of, the first chapter of the book of Ruth. But the first, the first chapter in the opening line, it, it says that the book of Ruth is really a story within a story. It happened in the book of Judges. If you haven't, anybody read the book of Judges before, the book of Judges is, is a story of, of a dark time in Israelites' history. It was a time after Moses and, and the people wandered the desert and after Joshua and the people entered the promised land. It's when a, t- a time of people when they, they literally cast off restraint. The Bible says it's, it was a time when everyone did evil in the sight of the Lord, when everyone um, did what, what, was, uh, what was right in their own eyes. So God's chosen people, the Israelite people, had abandoned God, and they had turned towards worship of other gods. They were serving other gods. And because of that, God turned them over to their sin. He removed his protection, and they faced the consequences. And then throughout the book of Judges, you see God raising up judges, leaders who would help deliver God's people out of, from the hands of their enemies and hopefully turn their, their hearts back towards him. But often they would not turn back to him because of their sin. And within, within that story, this little story of Ruth take, takes place. It's a story within a story. So when that's all going on, that big picture, there's this little happening happening over in the book of Ruth. So Ruth chapter 1, verse 1, it says this, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. 
So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name was Naomi, and the name of the two sons were Malion and Kalion. Or Malon, sorry. They were Ephraimites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. So there's a famine in the land, and the famine was often a sign of God's judgment to the Israelite people because of their sin. Now, just so you know, not all bad circumstances is God's judgment. We live in a fallen world. Sometimes stuff just happens. But there's a, there's a famine in the land, and now, this, now what's funny about this is this is the promised land. Right? This is the land that God had told the people for the longest time that I'm, I'm bringing you to a place flowing of milk and honey. This was that land. This was the land of provision. This was the land of rest. This was the land of produce. So they're in this land, God's chosen place, the, the supposed oasis, and now it's struck with a famine. There's no food, or food is, is very scarce. And so a man named Elimelech and his wife and their two sons, they leave that land, and they go to a country called Moab. Now that sounds like a pretty good thing to do as a, as a father, as a provider, as a husband. Right? You want to provide for a family, you want to help your family. Things are bad, you're struggling to find work, you want to make sure your family's taken care of, so Elimelech weighs out the options. Now there's apparently two options. Number one is we can stay in God's land, the promised land, and, and hopefully ride out the famine and suffer greatly because of it. Or I can take my family, I can head to Moab to a land where people, yes, they worship foreign gods, but there's plenty in this land. There's no famine. I can provide for my family. Now it sounds reasonable, right? It sounds reasonable, it sounds logical. Joseph took Mary and Jesus out of Egypt for a time to flee King Herod when King Herod was trying to kill Jesus. Sounds reasonable. The difference is, is that God told Joseph in a dream. God told Joseph in a dream to flee from Herod, to flee into Egypt. No angel appeared to Elimelech in the story. God didn't tell him to do this. God wasn't a part of his equation. God wasn't a part of his equation. In his reasoning, he didn't bring God into his plan. Now Moses, the law of Moses required that if anyone in the people of Israel became poor, that they could turn to the others in people of Israel, and they were to help them. So specifically, the scriptures say that they could stay and remain in the land. So he could have easily just turned to the people around and said, hey, help me out, or let's help each other, and they could come together and find some resource. But he didn't. So by leaving the land that God had given them and going into a foreign land with foreign gods, he was actually dishonoring God. He was actually dishonoring God. He could not live in the hope that one day the famine would end. He could not live in the hope that God would move in his situation and provide for him, even though the provision may not be like what he had hoped it would be. Right? Sometimes we, th we think God is not providing because we don't have a fridge full of food, but we're still eating. Sometimes we think God isn't providing because my bank account isn't full and I can't have the luxuries of life. But that doesn't mean that God isn't providing. He could not live in the hope and have patience to wait in God's timing, so he did something about it. He took matters into his own hands. What do we do when we're in a tough spot? What do we do when we're in a tough spot? What do we do when our circumstances are difficult? Do we go to God or do we get going? Do we go to God or do we get going? Do we wait on God or do we trust in our ability? to make this happen. Bad circumstances and difficulties are not a sign from God that it's time to move on. Just because things are tough doesn't mean God is saying, move on. 
Just because things aren't going the way you hope and plan, just because there's a famine in the land doesn't mean God's saying, move on. In fact, I believe that it's a sign we turn to God. When we're hopeless, we don't run from God, even unknowingly, we run to him. We don't, in our, in, our, in our own frame of mind, our own reasoning, think, okay, how can I get out of this situation and make a plan? First, we go to God. In leaving the promised land and going to Moab, he took matters into his own hand, and unknowingly, Elimelech was actually turning from God. Now, again, his plan was insanely practical, right? There's a famine here. There's plenty here. There's no work here. There's work there. My family suffers here. My family doesn't suffer there. That's a very logical plan. It makes sense, right? I think that makes sense. I need to provide for my family. I need to make sure people don't suffer. I can go here and they won't suffer. But do you know when we're in a vulnerable state of mind, Satan has a way of making a, 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 a place or a circumstance that draws us away from God seem more reasonable. When we're in a vulnerable state, like in a famine or in a difficult spot, Satan has a way of, of deceiving us to believe that this place is better. And it might even look better. And yeah, we might even have plenty, but actually removes us from God. And he has a way of masking that. And so we're not looking at the fact that we're turning from God. We're looking at the fact that we're turning to plenty. Does that make sense? Elimelech didn't go to God, he just got going. When the going got tough, the tough got going without God. So he moves his family to, to Moab, and as the story continues, he dies. He goes to the land of plenty, foreign gods, away from the famine to provide for his family, and then he dies. And we don't know how soon after, but he did. His choice ended up making things worse. His wisdom, his good idea, his plan made it harder for his family. So now Naomi and his two sons can add tragedy to their suffering. I know he didn't know what was going to happen, but removing God from the equation is not the solution. You know, sometimes we run when we should stay. Sometimes we plan when we should pray. That's just not, not like a nice little gimmick because it sounds flows on the tongue. Sounds nice on the tongue, Pastor Cole. Sometimes we give up when we should fight. We leave relationships because they get so hard. Friendships, we turn our backs on them. We leave churches instead of leaning in. We make choices using human wisdom instead of praying through and holding on to what God said. Matthew Henry said this. He says, it's evidence of a discontented, distrustful, and unstable spirit to be weary of the place in which God has set us and to be leaving it immediately whenever we are met with any uneasiness or inconvenience in it. You know, and some of us are like this. We're flight kind of people, right? I got to go. I got to get out of here. I got to make a change. Moab sounds better. Moab looks better. Moab's not in a famine. Moab's got plenty. Yeah, there's foreign gods, but they're eating. Their kids aren't suffering. There's a famine in God's country. There's not a famine here. But being with God in a famine is better being dead in a place of plenty. Being with God in a, in a famine is better than being without God in a place of plenty. Paul said we glory in our sufferings, not run from them. We glory in our sufferings. So there's a famine 
And I believe because God was trying to draw people to himself, but instead Elimelech flees and then he dies. So question for you this morning, are you running from God? Are you running from your problem? Or are you running to God? Now, soon after he dies, his two sons marry Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other named Ruth. Again, it doesn't sound too bad. Everybody loves a wedding, right? Who loves a wedding? Everybody loves a wedding. I remember there was a season in our lives when everybody was getting married, and it was awesome. We felt, like, great about it. Like, there's just love that's in the air, and it was great, fantastic. And they're like, sweet, we get to dress up. And then eventually there was just too many weddings, and we're like, this is really expensive. <laughs> and then you add kids to the mix, and it just makes things more difficult because you don't just get up and go. You, you have to plan for kids. We were at a life group the other day, and we leave the life group with our kids, and and we get into the van, and we're buckling. Jody's on one side of the van. I'm on the one other side, and I'm buckling in the baby, and she's helping the boys, and it's a process. And she looks out the back, and there's another young couple leaving the life group that don't have kids. And they just decide to leave. So they tie up their shoes. They get in their car. They sit down, and they drive away. And we began to laugh, right? Because for them, it's just like, oh, it's time to go. Let's go. And they're gone. But for us, it's, it's a trip just to get into the vehicle. Never mind. Just go. Weddings. Everybody loves a wedding. But, but, but for them to marry Moabite women was going against God's law because God had a law that marrying people outside of God's people was sin because it would influence them to follow after their gods and not follow God, right? The people that we align ourselves with will lead us towards God or lead us away from God. That's why the New Testament says do not be unequally yoked. So they could have stayed married, right? They could have stayed faithful to God until the famine had ended and they returned to the land. In fact, they weren't even very far from Judah, they could have just went back to God's land, found a wife. They really wanted to get married, to go back, found a wife, and then came back. But they didn't. See, Elimelech's choice in the difficulty changed the course of his children's future. His choices had a ripple effect onto his children's life. Can I just speak to some parents in this place? Your choices will impact your kids' choices. Even if your kids are adults... And you're like, they're all grown up, and you think that your choices aren't going to impact them? They'll impact their lives. He may have thought his decision was in the best interest in his family, but he didn't know the repercussions of his choice when he moved away from God. When I was 11 years old, doing 11-year-old things, my parents decided to make a big move for us, and we moved from Oshawa to Windsor, which is about a four-hour trip. Again, not a huge move, but a pretty big move when you're 11 years old. And I didn't realize at the time, and probably up until maybe in my early 20s, the actual impact that trip that move had on my life, because I went from being a very outgoing kid at the time to very shy and reserved. I went from being very involved and in, in doing extracurricular activities to being, to being kind of like reserved and insecure and, and, and disengaged. I went, I went from being very, very carefree to more fearful, just because of the impact of a move. Your choices will impact your kid's choice. He made a choice and he removed God out of his equation. And now his boys removed God out of their equation. They picked up where their father left off. You tracking with that? Your kids will pick up the choices you make. And when you take steps away from God, that will influence their choices. If you don't go to church, they likely won't go to church. If they don't see you reading your Bible, it's likely that they probably will not read theirs. If they don't see you praying, it's likely they will not pray. Your choices impact your kids' choices. And they usually they, they don't pick up on the things we say, right? We know this as parents. They pick up on the things we do, unfortunately. 
right? You see that, we see that happen all the time, and sometimes we cringe. We're like, oh, really? That's what you picked up. Because they see that. They see your choices. Ten years go by, and the sons die. Suffering to tragedy to more tragedy, right? Heartbreak. Now Naomi finds herself in quite a hopeless situation. She's widowed, and her sons are dead. Hopelessness. Can I just add some hope to this story, though? Can I just add some hope to your story? The whole story of Ruth, the whole story is four chapters long, and the tragedy part is only the first five verses. It's not the end of the story. Your circumstance is not the end of the story. Your incident doesn't define your future. Your situation doesn't determine the end, right? You may feel hopeless right now. Naomi was hopeless, but there's hope. The story's not over. The story's not over. We glory in our sufferings, Paul says, because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. Hope is here. So Naomi's in the field of Moab, and she hears that God had returned to his people and given them food. It says this, verse 6, When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing for them, she and her daughters, daughters-in-law prepared to return from there. With the two daughters-in-law, she left the place where they had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. So there's no, there's no hope in Moab, right? There's pain. But the famine has ended in Judah, and Naomi hears that the Lord had come to the aid of his people, and she turns back and heads home. Do you know that, that sometimes when you make a bad choice, when you walk through the, the wrong door, going back can be a forward move, right? Going backwards can be a forward move. Bible says, God says this, he says, return to me, declares the Lord, and I will return to you. Sometimes moving backwards is moving forwards. So you, took, you made a wrong choice. You walk through the wrong door. I say this to people all, all the time because they're like, I'm just worried I'm going to walk through the wrong door. If you do, turn around and walk back out. Go back. Go back to the place you met God. Go back to the place where you were walking with God. People are like, well, I just, I don't know. If I, uh, it's backwards. I, you know, I'm here now. Go back. Turn back. Go home and ask for forgiveness. Turn around and make amends. Because living with God in a famine is better than being dead in plenty. She heard God was doing stuff in the lives of her people, so she sets out on the road that would take them back. Now listen to this. She's still in despair if you read the story. She's still hopeless. She pleads with her daughters-in-law to return to their home in Moab with their mamas. And at first they're both like, no way, we're with you. Right, no way we're with you. And she's like, what do I got for you? I got nothing. I got nothing left. I have no hope. If, even if I had kids and they grew up, are you going to wait for them? Weird. No. I paraphrased that. It's in there, but I paraphrased it. You're not going to do that. And as it was an incredible, sad moment, Orpah's like, yeah, you're right. And so she kisses Naomi but goodbye. They cry like ladies do, and then she goes off. But then Ruth is a different... Sorry, ladies, I didn't mean to say that. <laughs> you just tend to cry more. Well, like, guys, you cry too. Yeah, whatever. I'm not mean to hurt any guys in here that cry. Ruth is a different story, and this is where the story really shifts from the tragedy in Naomi to the redemption in Ruth. Ruth says, don't tell me to go back. Where you go, I go. Where you stay, I stay. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. So Ruth gives hope in a hopeless situation. 
Ruth gives hope in a hopeless situation because Ruth chooses to remain with Naomi and the course, even though they don't know it, the course of their future is changed. See, Elimelech made a bad choice and changed the course of his family's future. But Ruth made a choice to remain and changes the course of the future. I think somebody in this room needs someone to give them hope. Somebody needs a Ruth. There's a Naomi in here that needs a Ruth. There's a Naomi in here that needs a Ruth to come along them and say, I'm with you. I'm with you. You're not alone in this. I'm with you. You know, the people that we align ourselves with can change our lives. You may be hopeless or in a difficult situation, but who are you aligned with? Who's around you? Are they the kind of people that are going to encourage you and edify you and lift you up? Another question, who are you choosing to come alongside? Are you looking for people who are in hopeless situations? And choosing to come alongside them. Say, I'm with you. I invite the worship team to come. I saw a comic strip this week of Winnie the Pooh. That's right, Winnie the Pooh. I said it right, Pooh Bear. If you don't know who Winnie the Pooh is, you are really young. <laughs> um, but it, there's a point to this. Winnie the Pooh has had a bad day. And he's sitting on a log, mopey. Had a very difficult day. And Piglet comes along, little Piglet. So starts to talk to Pooh. Do you want to talk about it? Pooh's like, no, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. So what does Piglet do? You guys remember Piglet, right? Fearful little Piglet. Blows away in the wind, Piglet. Piglet sits down next to Pooh. It says this. I kid you not. It, it hit me. I'm like, Piglet says this. Sometimes I don't want to talk about it either. But di difficult days are so much easier when you've got someone there for you. Yeah, I just used Winnie the Pooh as an illustration in a message. <laughs> Listen, there are piglets in this room. <laughs> and there are, there are poo bears. There are people, catch this, you're going to remember it now. There are people who are having difficult days. There are people in hopeless situations. There are people who don't have a glimmer of hope. There are people who have lost. And there are other people who can come alongside those people like Naomi and say, I'm with you. You're not alone. You're not by yourself. And listen, I get it. We all live lives. We can't always be there. But do you know what I found? Sometimes the biggest impact takes little effort, like a text message or a quick phone call that literally takes two minutes. And I've had people say to me, oh, just thanks for being there. I'm like, I, haven't, I felt like I haven't even been there. But all you did was pick up the phone for two minutes. Piglet just sat down next to Pooh, right? Ruth says, where you go, I go. Where you stay, I stay. When you die, I will die. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Now, here's the funny thing is, is Ruth is in a hopeless situation. Ruth is suffering. Ruth is in tragedy. She just lost her husband. And yet, she chooses to still see the hopelessness in someone else and say, I'm with you. And they don't know the end of the story. They don't know how it's going to turn out. God does, and we do, because we can read it. You know what? There's people in this room, you don't know how your story is going to turn out. You don't know how your circumstance is going to end. But I think if we can be the kind of people the kind of church people, kind of Christian people, maybe not even people in this room. There's people in your world. There's neighbors, 
people that you work with every single day who need somebody to say, hey, I'm here for you if you need it. Or just sit down with them. Don't even talk. Just sit down with them. I'm with you. I'm with you. That's what she says. She says, I'm with you. I thought about this. I never thought about it this way. Do you know when Jesus was on the cross, he was suffering. He was suffering on the cross. He was, as a, as a man, fully, fully man, he was beaten. He had a crown of thorns shoved into his head. He had to carry a large cross after all of that to a place where they would nail him to that and he would hang and eventually the whole purpose of of crucifixion was that you would suffer to death because the weight of it would just put pressure on your lungs and you would suffocate. That's That's what you died of, of crucifixion. And if you weren't dying quick enough, they would break your legs so that all the weight would just crush in on your lungs. Jesus, while he was suffering on the cross, didn't think of his suffering. He thought of you. He thought of me. He says, I'm with you. That's what God says to us. He says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. I am with you. You know, boxers, when they're in the, when they're in the boxing ring fighting the fight, there's someone in the corner, and they have a term for the person in the corner. It's called the corner man. And the corner man is someone that, that is there to, to give them a quick drink of water when they need to drink of water, to mend a, a quick cut so they can get back out and get in fighting, to guide them, to say, hey, watch for this or, or do this. Do you know you have someone in your corner Do you know you have a Ruth in your corner? And I'm not talking about someone in this room. God is in your corner. He's in your corner. And sometimes we find ourselves in in hopeless situations where we say, I got no hope. I don't have that state of mind. I don't have that mindset. I don't have that feeling. And someone might say something very encouraging, but it doesn't bring the hope. And that's when you turn to the person. I don't have hope. I don't have the feeling, but I know a God who's in my corner. And sometimes, can I just be real? That's not encouraging in the hopeless situation. You're not all of a sudden out of the hopeless situation, you're like, oh, I feel better now. You don't feel better, but maybe your your cut is mended a little bit because you turned to God, you ran to God as opposed to from Him. And so when you go back into the hopeless situation, when you go back into the fight, you're still able to stand. You know, boxers, when they're fighting and they're going at it, they're like, they're sucked out of all energy. They got nothing left by the end. But the person in the corner is saying, you can do this because they go back to the corner and they get refreshed. And then they go back out into the fight. See, Elimelech left the fight. He left the famine. And he went to somewhere where he thought, this is going to be easy. And yes, I know his frame of mind is, I want to provide for his family. But he took God out of the equation. In your hopelessness, you can't take God out of the equation. You got to put God into the equation. You got to put God into the mix. You got to go to the corner and say, God, I can't do this. And do you know what I find God often says? You're right. You can't. But I can. You can't handle this. But I can. You can't get through this. But I can. Don't remove God from the equation, church. Don't remove God from the plan. Some of you are incredibly logical people and very practical. And you want to provide. And you want to make sure that you survive. Don't remove God from the equation. Don't just make a plan without including him. Do you know what the Jews did, the early church did? They prayed that God would move and they believed in faith for that. And then they acted believing that God is gonna provide in their actions. And that's when the scriptures say that the man plans and prepares, but the Lord establishes the steps. It's as simple as that. Instead of just going and making the plan, first I go and I pray about it. And then I go and I make a plan. 
I'm in a hopeless situation. I don't know what to do. I'm going to go and pray about it, and then I'm going to take one step at a time. And you're like, maybe you come out of prayer, and you're like, I don't even feel like that worked. I don't feel, see, that's the problem with Christianity sometimes. We base it so much on the religion of Christianity. We base it so much on the feeling, whether it feels right or feels good or I feel uplifted. Sometimes we have to go on the knowledge of the truth. Like you come and you worship and you don't worship based on a feeling. I feel good about the service tomorrow, so I'm going to raise my hands or I'm going to dance a little bit. Or, you know, the team's really on spot, which they were today. And, and then I'm just, I'm, I'm feeling good, so I'm going to raise my hands. That is emotional manipulation. Sometimes you have to worship based on the knowledge. I don't feel like it right now, but I know God is still God, and so I'm going to raise my hands out of worship. I don't feel like it right now, but I'm going to go pray about it because I know that my God is in my corner. And I, and I left prayer, and I still don't feel the feeling of, of woo, I can get through this, but I know that my God is with me because the Bible promises that. He says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. See, Ruth and Naomi are in a hopeless situation. And Ruth says, where you go, I go. Where you stay, I stay. Where you die, I die. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And I will be buried there. And may God deal with me ever so severely if even death separates us. You know what that says? This is hopeless, but we're in it together. This is hopeless, but we're in it together. So Paul says we, we glory in our suffering. Because suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. Character hope. You know, I just believe that there's some people here that need some prayer, that need Ruth's to come alongside, that need to be reminded that God is with you. Can we just stand? Everybody stand all across this place. The team's going to lead us in a song, is, and I'll end in prayer. But what I want us to do is something maybe a little bit different than what we, we've done in the past. With, with heads up high, eyes open. If, if you're in a hopeless situation, and you're like, I could really use some prayer. I just want you to raise your hand. Raise your hand. Keep it up. There's a few hands here. You're like, I don't know what to do. I got a famine in my land. Anybody else? Okay, look around the room. See those hands? Here's what we're going to do. The team's going to lead us. Keep your hand up. I want, if you're near someone that's got a hand up, I just want you to go over and just put your hand on their shoulder. And let's just begin to pray as the team leads us in a song. Let's be Ruth's in this moment. Right? And if you look for hands that may be half high, because sometimes we're a little scared to raise it really high, right? Look around the room. These people need hope. Can we just bow our heads? The team's going to lead us. I'm going to pray, and then I want you to go pray for those people right now. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we know that you are a God who provides hope in hopeless situations. Lord, and we know that your word says that you will never leave us, never forsake us, that in the suffering of the cross, Lord, you thought of us. And so we pray, God, right now for those who find themselves in a situation where they don't know the outcome. They, they, they don't know what will come of it, God. They're, they're hopeless. Lord, for the, for the Naomi's and the Ruth's that are in this room, we pray in the name of Jesus, God, would you just provide hope? Would you provide hope? And so in this moment, Father God, we lift you up and we pray and we believe in faith that you're gonna, you're gonna move powerfully in amongst these situations. Jesus' name. Come on, let's just pray for those people. Let's worship right now in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that this message brought you closer with Jesus and gave you a better understanding of your walk with Him today. If you would like to know more about who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at parkway.church.